Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of My Old Kentucky Podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? Doing well. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank how you. Your, your foray into to, to local theater has come and gone, much like the filing deadline and um, <laughs> <laughs> not the session yet. But yeah, um, uh, yeah. how was your break? How did, how did the play go? How did all that stuff happen? The play went well. It was really fun. I really enjoyed having a little bit of a break from the political side of things and doing something creative for a little bit. But um, I wouldn't say I'm glad to be like, you know, like diving into like horrible bills and things like that. But it is really important work. That's why we do this podcast. And I have missed talking to you every week. So uh, I am happy to be back. Oh, same, Jazz. I missed you, too. Although we did see each other several times through, through over the break. Uh, yeah, we did. But but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have you back and talking talk, talking politics and government uh, together. Um, and, and what a week you've chosen to come back. The first full <laughs> week of session. Uh, well, that's a, a lot of what we're going to be talking about. So yeah. first and foremost, the, the filing deadline has come and gone. So we're going to start with that. Um, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, things that have happened in the session so far. So a note on that, we are going to be recording this on January the 9th. Our notes are pretty much recent to the to the 8th. There's a lot of stuff that happened on the 9th. We're probably going to talk about that mostly yeah, next week. I honestly feel like we kind of have like three big topics here today, I think. And, and I think that all of them could each be their own show if we wanted them to be. But um we don't have that much time so yeah yeah yeah. and there will be plenty of time to go through all of this it is still very early in the session a lot of stuff is likely to change um stuff we will make mention of the things that happened on one nine some of the bigger stuff but but most of the 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 deeply analytical stuff will be about stuff that happened through the eighth uh last week also the state of the commonwealth from the governor occurred he talked to us about what he wanted to get done that's that's still useful and we got interesting news yesterday on the the eighth that andy bashir governor andy bashir is starting a new pack that will be working more in the national space. So we're going to be talking about all that stuff starting right now. All right, Jasmine, let's talk a little bit about the filing deadline. Um, always a fun day, always a fun and exciting time. Uh, oh, I talked at length about it last week when I was by myself, but it's over now, and we know who's going to be running for state legislature and local government seats across you know, the whole state. Um, so just generally, the upshot is that Kentucky Democrats are going to be contesting 57 out of 100 seats in the House, and 11 out of the 19 open or like available Senate seats this year, which is about the same as it was last year. Uh, Democrats contested 58 seats in the House. I'm not last year, but last time. But one di- difference is that, you know, in 2022, there were a lot more incumbents. You know, Democrats, I think, had 25 versus 20. Um, and, and a lot of those incumbents ran. I think there were a few retirements, but not that many. And this year, there I think there were up to like five Retirement. So in addition to the, the 80 seats that Democrats don't have anybody in, they had five seats that they have incumbents in that they had to recruit somebody to run. So that's a lot of work recruiting to, to get even to just 60 seats. You know, back in the day when the Democrats had 40 or 50 seats, you know, it, it's not so much of a stretch to, to spend your time trying to find people in, in harder to reach territories because, you know, most of your seats are already taken care of. And when you have to recruit out that far, it just gets really, really hard. Mm-hmm. That's a caveat, but there were some pretty significant misses in the House. Uh, 
Well, I think I'll start with some some success stories. So Democrats did pick up quite a few candidates in Western Kentucky, including both Paducah seats, uh, a seat in Benton, one of the Hopkinsville seats, Murray, Madisonville, and a few others. So, you know, Democrats found candidates to run in the central time zone. Those seats are really tough, but they do have some of those small city cores. You know, probably not enough to, 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 to carry the seat, but, you know, we got to run if you're going to win. So those places are It's very important to have candidates. It's very important to have candidates all over the place. Additionally, Democrats did find candidates to run in, and I think all but one seat that were in Louisville, Lexington, and Northern Kentucky. And, and I know that that's where the focus was because those are the seats that Democrats are the most likely to pick up. Uh, the suburbs of Louisville, the area around Lexington, and then um, those Northern Kentucky seats that were really, really close, you know, Buddy Wheatley's seat, et cetera, in, um, in 2022. So, so that's where a lot of that effort was spent, and almost all of the seats were taken care of. I think there's one Northern Kentucky seat that didn't have somebody because I think there was like a last-second illness, and that person who was going to run had to drop out. Um, the big miss, on as far as I can say, tell, was Democrats not fielding a candidate in Bowling Green. Um, President Biden only lost that seat, you know, on the presidential level by two percentage points. Um, you know, Andy Bashir carried it by a significant margin. It's a place where Democrats can certainly win. Patty Mincher came really close to winning it when she was an incumbent. She opted to run for mayor instead of running for House. Um, you know, it's super disappointing that we couldn't find a, a House member or somebody to run for House in that district. That's definitely the biggest miss. I do also mm-hmm. wish that Democrats could have fielded a candidate in Henderson, and that one Kenton County seat is also a bit of a disappointment. The Bowling Green was definitely the most winnable one. Those other two, you know, Henderson, we've had a good candidate run in quite a few elections, and they've not really come close, and that Kenton County seat is really tough as well. So uh, just, J- Jasmine, I kind of want to get your take. Uh, you know, I've said... You know, not great, but there's good reasons why we can't field, you know, more than 60 people. Um, you know, I'm, I don't feel bad about this. I wish it, I did. I wish there were more people running, but, I, you know, I get it. Um, how, how do you feel about all this? I don't feel terrible, but I, I don't feel great. And I, I think it's because the those few seats like Bowling Green and Kenton County and Henderson – um, I hate that we didn't find people to run there, especially Bowling Green, I think, because like that's a place that you think would be really well organized. I I don't, you know, fault Patty Minter at all for not running for that seat again after being redistricted the way she was um, and, you know, losing her seat. But the fact that they couldn't find anybody that that is disappointing to me. Um, I am glad that we have people running in Louisville and Lexington because those are places we need to prioritize to win seats back. But I, I would love to see some of those other, a bigger city in Bowling Green and then small cities like Henderson be able to field a candidate. But at the same time, it, it's really hard to run it's hard to run and lose. Yeah. Too. Um, so it has, those are winnable districts though. You know, it has to be someone who is committed to it. And I understand that that's tough to find, but I, I do wish we were able to find someone in those spots. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Totally agree with all of that. Uh, yeah. And I think we're totally on the same page there. Um, there were a, a few other developments that happened, uh, in, including several incumbents uh, on the democratic side that are going to face, 
uh, primary challenges. So three incumbents in Louisville and two in Lexington are going to face Democratic primaries. And then five seats as one as as well as one seat in Democrat. Uh, uh, sorry, five seats in Louisville as well as one seat in Lexington without Democrats will also have primaries. So there's going to be quite a few Democratic primaries that are taking place to get into the state legislature um, in Kentucky's bigger cities. Um, so here's, I mean, you know, you can go look at my website if you want to see all of the, the the full list of all the candidates. But here are the ones that I thought were pretty interesting. So first, first up, um, Attica Scott will be challenging longtime Senator Gerald Neal for his Senate seat. Um, that, I, I told somebody when uh, this happened that they said they were very surprised. And I said, you know, I'm not ever going to be surprised by Attica Scott. Like, she she can do, she she's, uh, you know, she does what she wants to do. Uh, she's not going to let anybody tell her she can't do something. That's kind of been uh, her, her op, uh, like, her mode of operation since we've known her. She's not going to uh, let anything stand in her way of, of filing for stuff. Um, so I'm not surprised that she's running for this seat. Um, another interesting filing, Tim Finley, who we've had on the show before. Uh, I mean, I thought he was really impressive from – from like an interview standpoint, from his ability to speak, he ran for mayor of Louisville. He's going to be running in a three-way primary. This is maybe, I think, the most interesting primary in Louisville, uh, for mm-hmm. the legislature at least. Uh, Matt Fott, who ran for this seat last time but was kicked off the ballot for filing paperwork issues. And then Ricky Santiago, who is the president of the Puerto Rican Chamber of Commerce. So three, I mean, three different candidates that are running from very different perspectives that, that likely have very different bases. Yeah, running for those that, seats. you know... That's Kevin Bratcher's seat, and he's running for Metro Council. And it's always been hard to field a candidate there. Kevin Bratcher was was there for so long, and and I don't think people wanted to run against him. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've had candidates in that race that have just come up short, and and Matt fought, tried to run last time, and was still a registered Republican too late. Um, before the deadline, before switching his registration to Democrat. Um, so that's what happened there. But now that Kevin Bratcher's not running, it looks like we have a really good primary to watch for. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Um, it, and it's it's three interesting candidates. And, and you know, this district has been pretty Republican um, for a while. But Kevin Bratcher, I think, is the reason why this was such an unattainable seat. He is very popular in that district. District. He's been there for a very long time. He's not even leaving the public arena. He's heading to the Metro <laughs> Council. Um, he listens to the show. I learned that over the break. So if you're listening, oh, had no idea, uh, Representative Bratcher, like best of luck. Uh, I think. Well, you know, you're you've got he's got a primary in in the Metro Council and a general. Um, but yeah, that will be a very interesting primary on the on the Democratic side. Um, another interesting primary. Uh, Daniel Grossberg is going to face a primary. He's an incumbent in District 30. He himself won as a primary challenger last time, and he is facing a primary challenge in Mitra Subedi, who is, as far as I can tell, he's a Nepalese refugee. I, I, I've l- tried to learn a little bit about all the people that are running, and um, you know, he, he doesn't have much of a public presence that I could find anyway, um, but he seems like a very interesting person. Uh, I, I got conflicting media reports as to whether he was Nepalese or Bhutanese, but he's you know from that area that is like... Uh, you know, subcontinent or East Asia, like that area over there. Um, 
and, and is a refugee. Uh, and, and, you know, this district has a lot of immigrants that live in it. Um, it has a lot of people of color in that mm-hmm. district. Uh, it is one of the VRA districts, one of the, you know, what opportunity seats for people of color. Um, and yeah, it is, and you know, Dana Grossberg is a, 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 a white man. He's, he's, he's Jewish. That's an important part of his identity, but yeah, it will be very interesting. Uh, I think to see this district, uh, and, and what will happen there, um, is the district, uh, how, how, how well has Dana Grossberg ingratiated himself to this district? Um, so that will be an interesting one as well. The last one I wanted to mention is that Beverly Chester Burton is going to face a three-way primary. So Joni Jenkins represented that district for a very long time and then bowed out at the very last second, had actually filed and then unfiled, and then Beverly Chester Burton filed at the last day last time in 2022. Um, so there wasn't really much of an opportunity for people to get into that race in 2022. Here in 2024, it is a three-way primary, kind of the first time there is a primary there. I am very interested to see what is going to happen there this is the shively area as far as southwest in louisville as you can get definitely a primary i'm going to be keeping my eye on as well which of those um i, I you know you mentioned a, a few things here jasmine anything else you want to say about attica scott or tim finley or you know uh all these other people who are running for these seats i do think attica scott's challenge to gerald neal will be interesting because she does have such a well-known name in Louisville now because she's she was in the house for several years and then ran for Congress um, and every cycle I usually hear some kind of rumblings about someone wanting to primary Gerald Neal and so I didn't know that this was what Attica Scott was going to do but I am not surprised that Gerald Neal has a challenger um, so I, I do think that one will be interesting to watch and also Louisville voters also like to vote for women. And I, you know, so I think that one will be interesting. But I also think you're right about the three-way primary, um, the Democratic primary for the seat that is now Kevin Bratcher's because um, Tim Finley has some name recognition from running for mayor, um, but, you know, has two other competent challengers. And so I will be watching what happens there, too. For sure. Yeah, the thing I would say about the Attica Scott and Gerald Neal race is like both of those two have very, very strong fans and also very, very strong detractors. Yeah, um, I think that's certainly true. Yeah, I, I tend to be in the strange camp that kind of likes them both. <laughs> yeah, is, me too. It may just be me, <laughs> me and you. Yeah, for different, for different reasons. Yes. yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, definitely an interesting primary. Uh, there are, there are gonna, there are gonna be some. I, I feel like that is the, you know, that's a very strongly Democratic seat. Uh, it's the one that's likely gonna have maybe the most lively primary. We'll see though what happens there. Um, that was, I, I guess, we did mention a couple of Senate seats there, but uh, you know, the Attica Scott Gerald Neal seat. But on the on the Senate side, Democrats actually did a pretty good job of recruiting. Um, I, I would say this is the tougher of the two cycles for Democrats, um, but there are two to three seats. I think Democrats have a chance to be pretty competitive, maybe pick up one of these seats. And it looks like there are good candidates running in all of them. 
the seats that I mean, I'll, I'll mention three here, but there's several that I think that Democrats will have a good a good shot at. So so first and foremost, a seat I do think um, Democrats will need to win eventually is up there in Kenton County. This the seat is just basically Kenton County. Um, and, and Jennifer Sierra is running as the lone Democrat in the race. She's a children's book author and an advocate for survivors of domestic violence. Uh, the incumbent there is Chris McDaniel, and he's very popular. Um, he has turned back challengers in the past. Um, but but yeah, this is a seat. It has increased. It, it is getting more and more Democratic. He is very popular as an incumbent there, has been there, been around Kenton County politics for a very long time. Um, but the interesting dynamics, long-term dynamics are, are shifting towards Democrats. But, you know, it, it may take uh, McDaniel retiring, um, but maybe not. They may be able to unseat him. I think that that's a really good chance. Uh, one person I talked about last week, and this is the seat I think the Democrats have the best chance to win in, is Molly Jean Crane. Um, she's going to be a great candidate for that area. That it, it actually touches Lexington, but then it goes all the way to Moorhead, and it also includes Maysville. So those are actually areas that that voted Democratic for Andy Bashir, right? They did they did come out very strongly. This was a seat that was won by a pretty hefty margin by Andy Bashir. But but Andy Bashir did very very well in Moorhead, but. That's an area that didn't necessarily do so well for Democrats anywhere else on, well, on other races. So they actually, you know, um, they did pretty well for the other statewide candidates, but they haven't done well in races for Congress, haven't done well for races for president, haven't done well for races for Senate. Um, But those statewide candidates, I think like, I think Rowan County went for either two or three Democrats um, this time around. So we'll see if that's something that's sticky. Um, if the, you know, it is a, a long-term trend that's been pointed out by many people that college towns are getting more and more Democratic all the time. Rowan County is a college town. That is Moorhead State University. That counts. That is a uh, higher, uh, higher learning institution. So um, that is a, a seat I'm definitely interested in. And the last one I wanted to mention is Kiana Fields. She is from Georgetown, and she's going to make the race to replace Damon Thayer. This also is an area that's drifted towards Democrats. Both Scott County and the Fayette County area that it, that it represents um, does did shift towards Democrats. Grant County and the southern part of Boone County are tougher areas. But this is also a district that Andy Bashir year one i'm glad that somebody's running in this district you know now that uh damon thayer is gone i think it will be potentially a little bit more easier for democrats to pick up so on the senate side i was i was pretty impressed i was pretty impressed with democrats ability to recruit they are do have people in running in places like southeastern kentucky western kentucky um you know the hopkinsville seat i don't think they had anybody run in which was a little bit disappointing but um there there were lots of democrats running in lots of different places across the the state um where i was i was pretty happy with that so um so anyways uh that is the filing deadline stuff i guess one other thing i wanted to mention is i guess i have more this man there's so much about the filing deadline to talk about like you said this could be like three whole <laughs> shows um some Republicans are going to face interesting primary challengers. And we'll talk about this for just a second. So Killian Timoney, who's pretty moderate. I would say, I think last week I said he was the most moderate Republican in the House. Mm, you know, there's a couple people probably vying for that. He's on the list. Um, he is going to face a liberty challenger named Thomas Jefferson. So that's fun. Um, I don't know if he has, you know, is he, if, he's, if he's enslaved anybody or if he lives in a, a state in Virginia running for president. Uh, I don't know. I don't know anything about this. But, yes, Kelly and Timoney is going to be um, running uh, in a primary for that seat. 
um, Lynn Beckler, who lost in a, he, he got redistricted out of his seat. Or I guess he got redistricted into a district with another GOP representative. They ran in a primary against each other and Lynn Beckler lost. He is going to be facing a primary. He is, he has filed to run for Senate. So he had been in the house. He's going to file to run for Senate. He's going to take on incumbent Jason Howell. I believe that's in Southeast Kentucky. Okay, Josh Calloway, who is the opposite of Killian Timoney, may be the most conservative member of the House of Representatives. He is going to be facing Julie Cantwell in the primary. She's one of the mothers for medical marijuana. That's a group that we've talked to on the show before. Um, and, and she's running as a Republican. She definitely seems like she's a much more moderate Republican, um, definitely somebody who is a, a pretty significant contrast to the fire-breathing bomb thrower that is Josh Calloway. And then lastly, Savannah Maddox is going to face a person named Jared Likens, who is a Marine veteran, and just based on his social media feed, which is all I have to go on, also seems to be pretty moderate. So Savannah Maddox definitely has a reputation as being among the most conservative members in the House. I think that's earned. I think she is one of the most conservative members of the House, definitely a leader in that caucus, and she's being taken on by a much more moderate person. So these we do have like some we have one seat that's a little bit like sour grapes from being redistricted out of their spot but the other three are on the edges of the ideological spectrum both left and right in the republican party they that are being challenged not by moderates well i guess on the on the right side they're being faced challenged by mm -hmm. moderates but they're not by i guess maybe the best way to put it is they're not being challenged by people in the middle of the republican party they are being faced by people on the opposite end of uh of the republican party so that the Really conservative people are facing people who are just generally very moderate, would you know, probably fit into the Democratic Party if they wanted to. And Killian Timoney, who is much more moderate, is facing like a liberty challenger. Um, yeah, I mean, some interesting Republican primaries, Jasmine, anything, any, which of these do you think is the most interesting? I am most interested to see the Josh Calloway, Julie Cantwell primary because today um, Josh Calloway his bill that came out is a constitutional amendment about school choice. And so it, it seems like he's going to continue to be like a Republican, like figurehead for some of these like parental rights, education type of bills. And if Julie Cantwell is, you know, a, a pro public education person, I don't know if she is or not, but if she's a more moderate Republican, I would assume that she would be. Um, I think he could get a lot of backlash for this constitutional amendment, uh, maybe from even some people in his own party, since public schools are such big employers in, in some of these counties. Um, and so that's the one that I'm the most interested to see. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think all of these are pretty interesting. That's that's very high on my list, though, for sure. Um, let's talk really quickly about some of these local races. Um, in the Louisville Metro Council, Democrats are contesting every race on the ballot. Republicans are leaving six out of the 13 seats that are up this year uncontested. So, you know, actually, um, Republicans didn't challenge every seat um, in the House, uh, in the Kentucky House, and um, Democrats actually are contesting a higher proportion of the available seats in the House than Republicans are contesting in um, the Metro Council. So, you know, Democrats in the House did better than the Republicans in Louisville. So Robert, Robert trying to put some positive spin on things. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, they're in similar situations. I, and I actually, I feel like the stakes are probably higher 
for Republicans um, in the Metro Council because they are one seat away from a, from losing uh, from the Democrats are one seat away from getting a supermajority. So like Republicans really should try to push the offensive because they they need to not get into a supermajority. Uh, if if Democrats had a supermajority, Anthony Piagentini would probably already be out of a job. Um, they don't, and that means he's gonna likely be able to keep it. So um, that that is high stakes stuff there. Um, seven seats are going to have a Democratic primary in the Louisville Metro Council. And in District 4, there are 11 Democrats that are running for the seat being vacated by wow. DeCorey Arthur. Um, that just goes to show you um, what are they? There's like a term for it in political science, but basically, like the Democratic districts are like 70, 80% Democratic, and the Republican districts, strong Republican, are like 60 to 70. And that is one of the reasons why um, Democrats are pretty competitive on statewide elections and on ballot initiative stuff, but are facing like an 80 to 20 legislature um, mm-hmm. just from the way that things are spread out like that. The body is the Metro Council is also looking at significant turnover. Several folks are leaving their seats and two ha- state House members are looking to move to local government, including one Republican and one Democrat. Um, the af- aforementioned Kevin Bratcher and Josie Raymond. Uh, Democrats, uh, yeah, like I said, only need to pick up one seat to get a supermajority. And I think it's likely um, I think it's likely they will. I don't know. I'm always too optimistic, so maybe not. Um, in Lexington, the LFECG Council, that's nonpartisan. Three seats are going to have a primary. And a primary just means there's more than two people that have filed. The top two finishers are going to uh, advance to the general election. And in, in addition, three seats have two candidates. So there will be races in five of the different seats there in Lexington. Um, and three of those seats are open. Um, yeah, so that's that's a lot of primaries uh, on the local side. Lexington completely reelects its numbered council districts every two years, which is a lot of campaigning. Um, and it, it's, uh, but this is actually, I feel like kind of a lower number of, of contested races than usually happen there in Lexington. But uh, that is that is where we're at. So that's all I wanted to talk about from for the filing deadline. It was a lot, but that's all. Um, Anything else you want to say about filing deadline stuff at all, local races or otherwise? No, I think you covered it, and I know you talked. You've talked about it some, you know, over the last few weeks as people have filed as well. And I'm sure you know we're gonna we're going to be talking about these races more as they heat up. We we certainly are. Um, all right, let's shift gears. I'm going to keep talking, but we're going to start talking about the session and stuff that has happened already. Um, it has been a busy day in Frankfurt today. Lots of things have happened. We aren't necessarily going to get into the stuff that happened today on the 9th, but we will talk about the stuff that's happened before then. And, and, and kind of the main thing that has been sucking up a lot of the oxygen um, before today was the um, the conversation about Mike Wilson's attempts to alter significantly any DEI programs at state universities. So in case you didn't know, DEI stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Um, those are pro- programs that have gained prominence since 2020 in both the corporate space and the education space, especially the higher education space. Um, lots of different places have much more uh, DEI in them than they used to, um, but the state government has a direct role in um, in you know regulating state education, higher education, so that is what this bill goes after. DEI in higher education. The bill in question is SB6, Wilson's bill, uh, Mike Wilson's bill, as it's cur- currently written, uses a lot of non discriminatory language. So here's like a quote from the bill An individual should not be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment because of an individual's rex- race or sex, or 
an individual's moral, moral character is not determined by the individual's race or sex. So, uh, those are not direct quotes because they're actually negations, and it's like, here's what the bad, here's what the bad thing is, and then it's like this, but it's, in, anyway, so it's not a direct quote, but that's generally the thoughts behind these things. So that sounds good. Don't, uh, you know, uh, discriminate on the basis of race or sex. That, you know, I, I, I agree <laughs> with that. Um, but, yeah. then it, but then it starts attacking things like unconscious bias in the same list of, of things, and the language is something like, no individual by virtue of the individual's race or sex is inherently privileged, racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously, or subconsciously. And then the other quote is, no individual by virtue of the individual's race or sex bears responsibilities for actions committed in the past by other members of the same race or sex. Um, again, not direct quotes, but, but these are one, these are things where, like, added into the list of these things, it starts getting people thinking, and you're like... You cannot blame us for being white people <laughs> yeah 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 and, and there's just like there's a it lot unnecessary there's a lot to unpack here like who is who's really being like what does it mean to be attacked like as a person with privilege like i, I don't feel like you are lacking in the ability to do anything you would have been able to do otherwise <laughs> because you're a man or you're white um you know there, there is probably there if if we were going to actually have this conversation in a constructive manner, there probably are some some conversations about DEI um, that we could have, but that just seems impossible because of the people who are trying to have the conversation. Um, you know, is is this stuff completely fine? Maybe not. You know, there are probably some problems with DEI. They've they've faced a lot of issues. Uh, a lot of people who are further left than. You know, me or probably a lot of the people that are saying that, like, say that these things are empty, they're hollow, that they don't accomplish a lot of the goals that they were intended to deal with. Um, and, and then, you know, there are, you know, there's evidence to say, um, you know, uh, younger men, um, you know, face headwinds that they haven't in the workforce before. There's a lot of interesting research about that. But those are nuanced conversations. You can't just say men face, uh, men are being discriminated against. You can't because that's not generally true. It is potentially particularly true in some instances but that requires a nuanced conversation that we just aren't able to have in in something like sb6 um and and as it's written it is very very problematic um and and uh you know it is very much like the 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 problems that the the the, a lot of issues that we're seeing in a lot of other states so what are the college's responses to this? UK and UofL are being very circumspect with their language, but it's pretty clear that they're not happy with this bill. Um, UK's Jay Blanton, who's been the spokesperson there for a very long time, quote, We are a campus steadfastly committed to ensuring that we are a place of belonging for everyone, as well as a community dedicated to the fundamental academic value and principle of open inquiry and the free exchange of ideas. Those ideas are not only compatible, but essential to who we are and what we do as Kentucky's university, unquote. And then UofL just said we are reviewing the legislation. So they see that this is out there. They see it as a threat. They are probably trying to find the best way to deal with it. Um, but it's pretty clear that they don't want to see it happen. So what's up with the legislation? Senator President, Senate President Robert Stiver said that uh, legislation would go through a, a thorough review, which I think that sets up a pretty significant test um, for leadership. I do think that the, the, the Senate leadership is going to listen to what UK, UofL, EKU, Moorhead, all the public universities have to say about this. They're going to try to come up with something that works for everybody. And are they going to be able to get their more moderated bill through? This is the same process that happened with SB 150. It failed, and we basically got the bill that Josh Calloway dreamed about in his uh, you know um, wildest 
uh, you know, trans-hating dreams that he ever had, um, and it passed last time. Is that going to happen again over a bill like this, or will leadership prevail, actually work with something, and get something through um, that is something that the, the public universities can can live with? Um, I don't think it will, that this bill, as it's written, is the end of the process, so it's definitely something we're going to have to track really closely, um, and we will continue doing that as the session evolves. Jasmine, I just said a lot about DEI and SB6. What do you think about all of that? I mean, I I don't think it's a good bill. And I think, you know, it's essentially just another bill. I don't know. DEI now feels just like the new CRT to mm-hmm. me. It feels like just one of these, like, Republican buzzword bills where, like, they've made this like the new crisis, like our society's failing because of DEI. Like that's like the new thing after CRT. And so I, you know, I think, I don't think this bill actually solves anything. And in fact, I think it's, you know, probably like anti-black, anti-LGBTQ, because it, I mean, it just see, it's seeking to protect white people, white men um, from, so from I, a threat I, that doesn't really exist. Yeah, yeah, and and so I'm not happy with this bill. And then I'm not sure if you were planning on covering this, but then we we also got a like DEI bill for like public school curriculum. Um, from the Senate as well, Senate Bill 93 from Senator Meredith. Oh, that no. I didn't see that, no. So it's talking about, like, curriculum that talks about belonging and, like, restricting that, and that what's just it, seems crazy to me. What's the number? Senate Bill 93. Because that was filed uh, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, and it looks like, yeah that that looks like more the bill that like Lindsey Titchener and Stephen Meredith and um, Senator Boswell, I think it was from Owensboro, and yeah uh, Senator Douglas, uh, yeah th- that's that seems like much more of like the Liberty Bill, um, and then but I, I guess I don't know um, the other bill yeah I just think it's like the new thing so like here's one for universities and here's one for public K through twelve you know like that's the new thing that Republicans are are going after thinking that it's a huge crisis Mm -hmm. the same way that they were about CRT, which wasn't even being taught in schools. Well, for those two bills, though, I mean, we don't, I, yeah, I wish we had more information about, I, I wish I had been more prepared for this, but it does seem like there's one that's filed by leadership. It's Mike Wilson's bill who's in leadership. Mm-hmm. And then, and then this other bill that is filed by a much further right group of people. Um, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens with it. Um, but yeah, it does seem like um, this is the new woke thing um, is is DEI and attacking DEI. But there are other things that are happening in the session as well. Um, we'll just mention them because we'll have to dig into them more. Um, the the Safer Kentucky Act, which we have talked about, you know, we said this was something to watch out for. It is the 
the you know public safety bill that is anti-criminal justice reform for sure um, it is something we'll talk about more it was filed today and then additionally the school choice amendment that it's going to have to amend the constitution after the supreme court ruling earlier this year that um, ruled the funding mechanism for charter schools uh, illegal it is making its way it has been introduced by josh calloway so we have text for it we haven't dug into it but we will talk about it next week as well so definitely going to talk about those those bills in an upcoming show all right jasmine tell us what we need to know about the state of the commonwealth all right so andy Bashir gave his 2024 state of the commonwealth last week and you know i don't think it was anything um particularly like you know, new or surprising. It was a combination of, you know, touting accomplishments, telling stories about people in Kentucky, and then offering his budget proposals. I did like that he made a joke for the people who aren't excited about his next four years that he's now term limited. Um, so there is that. We'll see what they have to say when he's the president, but that's. <laughs> Bashir says that 51,000 jobs have been created and that we've made $29 million in private investment. He noted the Norton West Hospital project in West Louisville and, of course, the battery plant in Glendale that we've talked about several times on the show. The two big budget priorities that he talked about were universal pre-K and raising teacher salaries by 11%. He noted that Kentucky ranks 44th in starting teacher pay and 40th in average teacher pay and noted that our border states have given teachers raises. Um, I feel like this, you know, it's kind of like the sports betting thing, you know, like all the states around us did it. So we need to be able to compete. (laughs) Um, He also talked about Eastern and Western Kentucky recovery He discussed the accomplishments in rebuilding after the tornadoes and flooding that so far um, said that more help is needed. His budget proposal would provide for $75 million for the Eastern Kentucky Safe Fund and $10 million to an affordable housing trust fund. He also talked about infrastructure accomplishments like the Brent Spence Bridge Project and expanding the Mountain Parkway. Part of his budget would put... $300 million towards speeding up the Mountain Parkway project and $50 million to repair local bridges. I think that's something that's certainly needed. In some of these more rural parts of the state, there's these like little local bridges that you have to take to get from one place to another, and they're not in good shape at all and are rather scary to drive over sometimes. And so We definitely have a lot of local bridges that need repair. And then $500 million to improve access to clean drinking water. And then a couple other budget items um, that I thought were noteworthy were funding for health care and mental health care needs. And then $35 million for police body armor, which isn't something I'm particularly thrilled about. I, I feel like our police seemed pretty well armed you know, when I've seen them out during protests, they they're in like riot gear and <laughs> have military trucks and stuff. So I don't know. They seem armed to me. Um, but that's thirty five million dollars. So I think that those were kind of some of the 
highlights of the state of the Commonwealth. But I mean, what's important is whether any of those priorities are going to get done or not. Um, And we've seen a little bit of the Republican response so far. House Speaker David Osborne said that they're He's not sure that there's an appetite for universal pre-K or teacher raises. So I think that's a that's a no from, from the House. He said, I believe that those decisions are best made at the local level, but I do think that you'll see us again contribute significant funding that local officials will have the ability to utilize that money. And I certainly believe and hope that they will use that money to give teachers raises. So um, it, it's just kind of putting that off and putting it on local school boards to, to do that if they're able to, um, which, you know, it seems like they don't want to do it because it's a big priority of Andy Bashir's in part. Um, and they, Republicans have said that some of their proposals will focus on public safety. Um, they'll also have, proposals regarding abortion this session. Um, Of course, the public safety bill will include the Safer Kentucky Act, the omnibus bill. I think, I think it's around 68 pages. um, So there's, there's a lot to dive into there. Um, But, you know, I don't see universal pre-K certainly not being part um, of Republicans budget proposal and teacher salaries. I'm doubtful about it, but um, I don't know if, if the rest of if other state workers get any kind of raise and it excludes teachers again, that just seems really spiteful to me. Um, so I don't know, Robert, what did you know, what did you think about Andy Bashir's proposals and what the Republicans might do in their own budget? Yeah, the entire time I was, you know, listening to the speech or reading about the speech or whatever, the thing I kept considering is, like, who is Andy Bashir's audience when he makes a speech like this? And I think that, I mean, there's lots of answers to this that are all true. Um, I do think part of the audience is the Republicans there trying to open a co- line of conversation, trying to find places where they can work together on stuff. I think that's why you mentioned stuff like the Brent Smith's Bridge, local bridges and stuff like that. So, you know, we, he is digging into trying to find places they can work together. I think another big part of the audience is the the just Kentuckians to be like, you reelected me to do these things. Here is me giving it my level best. The people standing in the way are the other people in this room. 57 Democrats are running in the House. Please vote for them. Get these folks out of here uh, and and make it so that we can do things like like teacher raises. So, you know, um, just trying to, you know, drive home the fact that, like, he is still in favor of these things. If they don't get implemented, it's not because of his lack of trying. Mm-hmm. And I do think, and we'll get into this in the next session, he is working really hard to develop an identity for himself that is a national identity as like a problem solver, somebody that wants to focus on positive solutions to big problems and stuff like that. So I do think part of this, part of the audience here is the broader Democratic Party prepping for 2028 when there will be a primary, and I expect that Andy Bashir will be part of it. So I do think that all of this is is part of it. What's actually going to get done? None of it. I mean, none of it. Uh, you know, I just don't see... I mean, maybe maybe the infrastructure pieces, maybe some of the bridge stuff or whatever. The, the yeah, and is- I think some of the... Possibly some of the recovery relief things. Yeah. 
yeah that that that's probably correct but but any of the big ticket stuff that he really wants like the teacher raises i i mean it is spiteful they're not gonna happen and, and i mean there is a framework that republicans like to fall back on to say that oh you know some of our districts pay fine if we have an across the board raise those districts would be just like way out of whack which is just like first of all not necessarily super true an 11 percent raise even in the districts that pay their teachers pretty well wouldn't put them into like the 75th percentile nationally they still they would be above average but they would just be a little bit more above average which i think is fine um teachers deserve more across the whole country uh, and then the the thing is when you put it in the budget for districts to include raises this is something we learned in the last budget they aren't going to do it because they have a lot of other needs that they have to to face like Teachers deserve raises. Unless you make it a teacher raise, they're going to spend that on facilities. They're going to spend that money on, um, you know, other classroom situations, administration, um, stuff that they that, that, that districts want to spend money on. Um, and, and that isn't always teachers. And, and that's unfortunate, but that's what I think is going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I mean – we're, we're off and running into the session. Um, we do have the governor's budget. Hopefully it'll get filed. But, uh, yeah, I think that likely the budget will be a creation of the Republicans in the House. So that is why they had David yeah. Osborne speaking. Yep, I believe you're probably right. Yeah. All right, last up, um, much-anticipated teased uh, Andy Bashir's new pack. Yeah, this is just a short kind of related story. So Andy Bashir announced on Monday that he's launching a pack called the in this together pack, um, which will focus on electing Democrats in swing States and red States. The, the name of it. Do you think that goes back to like what he would say during COVID when he would say like, what did he say? We're in, we're in it together. Uh, Right. We're all in this. Uh, wait, what is it? So the name of it is In This Together. Yeah, that's what he said. We're all in this together. Absolutely. That is definitely yeah. what that is responding to. The group will look for candidates who demonstrate a commitment to leading with empathy and compassion and the backbone to always do what's right, regardless of politics, which, you know, I think that's what Democrats, at least, would say that Bashir is known for. Um, people believe he's a compassionate leader and that he has like made hard decisions to do what's right, like you know vetoing anti-trans legislation, even though it's not popular, or um, keeping COVID precautions in place, even after other states had loosened up on them, and, and things like that. Um, so I, I think Andy Bashir's you know developing a bit of like a a little bit of a brand here. And, and I would and, say I, I would just stop and say, like, I, I heard you say, like, Democrats really strongly there. I think that Republican voters or people at least that vote for people like Donald Trump also see him this way. And that's why he was able, able to pull off a five point victory in Kentucky in a state that Donald Trump won by, you know, 20 points or whatever. Yeah, you're right. I I guess I think, you know, when I think about Republicans, I'm thinking about um, the people in the legislature who think he he won't work with anybody and. He's a tyrant and all of these things. But I mean, certainly Republicans and independents and swing voters vote for him because he's won two statewide elections for governor and won as a, his race for attorney general as well prior to that. Um, so his pack will look for candidates who demonstrate a commitment to leading with. Oh, sorry. That's the 
what I just said. So his PAC is not just for statewide candidates. He says they will support local, state, and federal candidates. So that's kind of what I was wondering when I first saw it, if it was going to be for statewide candidates. But it looks like it will also be for local and federal. In the press release, Bashir said, it's critically important that we elect more good people both in Kentucky and around the country, who will stand strong on our shared values and always do the right thing, even when it's hard. So I guess I already know the answer because you've mentioned this a little bit. So, you know, do you think this signals Andy Bashir stepping in to the national spotlight to perhaps run for president in the future is that what you think this pack signals robert 100 percent. yeah uh, i do yeah. think yeah I, I, well and, and the thing about it i would say is just because you start one of these things doesn't mean you're ultimately going to run for president if you don't start one of these things you're probably not going to run for president right mm-hmm. you know this is like these are the steps that people who are senators or or you know governors or whatever take before they run for president so they're like but there are a lot of people who take these steps that realize they don't have an audience that realize it's not going to work out for them and they shunt it say oh well i maybe maybe i'll try it next time maybe this isn't for me or yeah whatever. Um, so it doesn't mean he's definitely going to run, but I right. think it it's means like he's, tiptoeing yeah, mm-hmm, in, moving, moving in that direction. And I think it's totally appropriate. He is somebody who gets talked a lot about in national circles. He is somebody that are like, I wonder what's up for him next. He is term limited here there. You know, there aren't a lot of other things he could run for here. I mean, that that he would have a good chance of winning. I would say his chances of becoming the United States president are about even to him winning a, a Senate seat in Kentucky. <laughs> you know, so why not shoot for the big Which job, is, right? Seems crazy. Yeah, I mean, but you see this happening a lot. I, I think he's a much more compelling uh, person than a lot of the people who sat into this seat last time. Um, former governor of Montana, Steve Bullock, would be somebody who I would think, like, you know, twice elected governor of a red state or whatever, but much more conservative. Or, you know, Jim Webb, somebody who uh, was elected senator from Virginia, um, but was much more conservative. I think Andy Bashir is a much more forward looking politician. He's like a new brand mm-hmm. of person. Um, who isn't afraid to be like, no, I think trans people are people. And, and, you know, I believe that, you know, women should have access to abortion. Like he's not afraid to say that kind of stuff publicly. Yeah. Um, whereas some of the more conservative red state governors who were Democrats in the past were in fact more conservative. I, I just think he's got a new brand. He's got a new, um, a new direction. And I think he's, he's probably going to do it. I would, I would lean towards that direction right now. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that's what, Hearing about this pack, that's immediately what you think, that he's starting to, you know, put himself um, in the right position to start thinking about that in 2028, Yeah, I guess. Crazy. Time is just, you know, I'm going to be old. Before I know. I'm like, know. wait, what year? Oh, my God. We're <laughs> a quarter of the way through the century. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I know. It's nuts. Um, all right. Anything else you wanted to say about the pack? Nope, that's it. All right, a couple of just quick hits. First of all, the GOP, the Kentucky GOP, passed a resolution recognizing people who were, quote, wrongfully detained, unquote, on January 6th, 2021. Lindsay Titchener introduced an identical resolution in the Kentucky Senate. The Justice Department, the United States Justice Department, says that everyone who has been arrested because of their involvement in that insurrection has been charged. This is really, this is really scary. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of all the things, like, you know, it it really 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 bothers me and i get legitimately very angry about stuff like where republicans stand on abortion and trans rights um but but i i think that those are like 
political disagreements and uh, disagreements about society. This is like, should we have a functioning democracy? Uh, it, it goes to the core of whether we're able to resolve our differences peacefully, or if people actually form an armed res- or insurrection, um, whether or not there's a party in this country that will support them. Um, you know, I, I do know that Dem- like Republicans are trying to say Democrats have made too much about this like all the time in national media and the presidential race. It's the biggest deal. Like it is the biggest deal. The fact that the uh, ex-president of the United States who's running for president again had an armed insurrection at his beck and call that invaded and overtook the Capitol for a short period of time. That is the biggest deal <laughs> in politics. There is yeah. nothing that could be bigger than that. So you know, it's it's really scary and it's come home in this way. And we have a state senator that is out here, you know, supporting the insurrection, basically. So great stuff. Uh, really unfortunate. Well, situation. didn't the House pass it? No. Um, the Kentucky GOP State Central Executive Committee passed oh, it. Oh, OK. Yeah, that's who did it. All right. Um, two uh, two resignations. Jasmine alerted me to one um, in the House of Representatives. Russell Weber, who is the state representative from Shepherdsville, he uh, said in December that he was going to step down to join the tre- the new Treasurer's administration. Um, that became official this week. Um, and and in addition, Brandon Reed. Isn't that right? Am I getting that? Am I getting that correct? Is it Brandon Reed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who I believe is like is he Dan. I, I don't know actually don't know um brandon reed wherever he is uh, he has also decided to step down um from his seat in the legislature to join the um department of agriculture so there will be two special elections because they are uh, the vacancies appeared during the session just gonna say he's not where's he from oh where's brandon reed from uh his district is Green Heart in LaRue County. All right, I was too far north. He's, he's directly south of Danville. My bad. Okay, he's south of Danville. Um, he's south central Kentucky. Okay, so that's where Brandon Reed's from. Because the vacancies appeared during the uh, legislative session, the, the, I think the, you know, the, I guess since they're House vacancies, the Speaker of the House gets to set the date for the special election. So those will be happening soonish. Um, and one other quick hit, or I guess there's two other quick hits. So the first one is there is one bill speeding its way through the legislature. It is worth mentioning. It's a technical change to a bill allowing people to run for office if their precinct number has changed. I, I don't really know who this impacts, but they're sponsored by people in both parties. And clearly somebody's like not going to be eligible to run for election because of this somewhere. So they are making a retroactively, uh, you know, able um, to be passed and both parties seem to be very supportive of it. So that's interesting. And then the last quick hit I had is that uh, Congressman Morgan McGarvey in Louisville um, was given uh, a, a, a kind of a, a new job. He's the senior whip in uh, the, the Democratic House. He's going to be working alongside of House Democratic leadership in Washington, D.C. I mean, he's a first term congressman. Um, yeah, but, but, you know, that seems like a big deal. He just got there. Yeah. You know, I think that and I think it's a, a, a change for the better. Like the House of Representatives used to just really operate on seniority for like 150, 200 years. That was like how it operated. Mm-hmm. And um, in really the past like 15 to 20 years, it has been like people who are willing to work are the people who are going to give the work to. Yeah. And, and Morgan McGarvey does work. He works really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also he's in a safe seat, um, you know, for at least the next decade. Um, so I'm not surprised to see 
Congressman McGarvey getting a nice, uh, nice, you know, little cherry, and I'm sure he will work really hard to maintain it and do a good job. So, congratulations to, to Congressman McGarvey uh, for entering leadership. Um, you know, we've been really embarrassed by a lot of the members of Kentucky's House delegation all year, um, and it's nice to have something that we can be a little bit proud of. Um, that is all I have for quick hits, Jasmine. Anything else that we want to talk about? We've we're gone an hour with just the two of us. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things we could. I have all kinds of bills that I'm thinking about and everything but i think that's enough for my first week back i think we're good absolutely all right well tell everybody where they can get a hold of us oh i don't even know if i can do this you can do it i believe in you (laughs) you can find us on twitter and instagram at my old ky pod you can like our facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of your choice we also have a newsletter i think at tinyletter.com slash my old kentucky newsletter and you can support what we're doing on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And we are part of the Dimcast Network and the Ford Kentucky Network. And Robert, tell people where they can find your political data. Yeah, kypoliticaldata.com. Um, it will have a ton of stuff about the legislative session as it happens every day. So go there to check it out. You can also see who's filed to run in which seats. Um, if you want to see election results, um, you know, they're several months old at this point, but you can go back and look at them if you want to. Um, that's all there as well. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>